0: This week's episode is brought to you by Horizon Books, serving Seattle's book-loving community for over 47 years with the best used book collection in Seattle. Come on down to Horizon Books, mention Upzones at the register, and get a 10% discount today, tomorrow, and all summer. This episode is brought to you by Horizon Books, and this is Upzones. You elect yourself, J.V. Things, Things are changing. You can't say it, but you know it's true. You yourself. Things are changing. To you elect yourself. You elect yourself. So it's another week. I'm back. Did the bachelor party thing last week never thought I would say that out loud, but I did it. Had a great time, was in Chicago. Chicago is an amazing freaking city. actually had a conversation about whether or not Chicago can be defined as a city that sprawls because it is folks. It is so massive, but, but in another, I mean, geographically, it's just so big and it's suburbs just keep going. But in another sense, we were talking it out and, I mean, how can a city that tall with that much density really be a sprawled city? It's just a big city. It's just a lot of folks. But anyway, I went down there. Yeah, went down there last week. So we didn't do a show. Try to take one or two weeks off every season since this is mostly just a self-produced situation. Um, but we're back. We've done a bunch of interviews. So it's going to be a really cool second stretch we have. As we move through the summer, I hope you'll you know I hope you'll check it out. And you know that this is part of Cascadia Underground, a really cool project with that Brandon Lessinger is doing over at Horizon Books. And you know if if nothing else, just check out the bookstore. He, there that team has really taken what was uh, <laughs> it was a flop house with uh, books, and it's now just a fantastic space. I hope that I uh, hope that everyone can go check it out. It's right on the same block as Numos, and you'll hear us joke about being in the basement of Numos, but that's just because we're basically in the basement of Numos, um, and we were we were gonna run we were gonna run an episode last week. I I have a guest that I I'm struggling with right now. The interview's in the bank. It has been for a little while actually, and this is this is one of these Seattle moments that I just I, I I'm growing and learning and struggling here as someone who's trying to contribute to the conversation. You know, uh, we we may run this guest. We may not. They were charming enough. In fact, it was they were quite charming. Um, we spoke to their past and their story, and to the present, and, and some of the reasons they have the positions they have. This person is not um, necessarily the most progressive human when it comes to their particular uh, position. But at, at the end of the day, it's actually not why I'm hesitating to run it. I'll run a, I'll run anyone but a, but a hateful bigot on the show. It's because uh, the organization that this. You know, person represents, has been engaged in some pretty um, insidious behavior and, and and some outright harassing behavior. It's not this person. I, I I'm a, I don't even know. I'm just talking right now. I don't even know what to make of any of this. I, I don't believe in echo chamberism. I think it's a really fucked up way to run a city or a country, to purge beliefs that are outside of yours. But I I do believe in behavior. And if you're on my show representing group and then that group harasses journalists and and harasses other folks who take a different position. I don't know if I can ever run your show and give you a platform. I I don't know. I'm still working on it because what what happens then is we we end up in this cycle where no matter what you do, you're you're screwing the city over in one way or another, right? If I run this thing, I'm giving a platform to bigots. If I don't run it, I'm just the same old echo chamber Lefty guy, is that anyone else is? And I know there's lots of us out there. I don't know. I don't know what to do. So uh, I did, I did, I did, I had it in the can and I didn't run it. That's it. That's what happened. I had it in the can and I didn't run it. Uh, but we're back and we've done a bunch of interviews this this last week or two that we've got, we're going to run the next couple of weeks. I'm really excited. Uh, Joan Wynn this week, really thoughtful guy is, is just in every respect, a true progressive, but also checks all the boxes important to me. Uh, you, you know, it's not just ideology, right? Your, your party is your ideology. Ironically, I, I think some of the most ideological folks have lost that your party's your allergy, the, the, the candidate, whether it's a legislator and executive, it ought to be a, a, a good manager of people, uh, a strong communicator, someone who you trust to negotiate because, uh, a governance without negotiation is a dictatorship, and so negotiation is going to happen. So, who do you trust to to, to negotiate well with your best interest, but also cleverly and and with the broader interest at heart? You know, he, he's a successful guy. He's worked in Microsoft, a place that I used to work a long time ago, and he's done well there. He got he he, he got you know promoted up there, and uh, he, you know, in the thirty fourth, where he's running for the state ledge, he'd be he'll be the first person of color to represent the district. If he wins, even though the 34th is one of the most diverse districts in the entire region, uh, that's saying something Uh, that you can draw whatever conclusions you want about what it's saying. But look, I mean, he, he, great conversation. We had a lot to talk about. Um, he has had a life, Him him and his family could have been a movie. I think I'd have watched, um, but it'll be interesting to see how he does. And that, you know, there's a primary in August, and uh, there we'll be talking about that a lot. I think here in the show, and you know, I hope the folks in Vashon, White Center, Biryan, a little bit of West Seattle, where he's he's gunning to represent, I, I hope they'll give him a look. I, I like I like what he has to say, and, and I think everyone else might too.
1: August seventh is the primary. Uh was that five weeks from now? Which is pretty exciting. I'm like, it's the weirdest feeling because we're doing everything we can. I feel like we're being busy and like you have these benchmarks that I think we're actually hitting, but I'm like, at the end of the day, it's votes. So I don't I don't really care about endorsements. Money obviously we need it to run our campaign. We have volunteers coming out, but does that translate to votes? Well,
0: that's the big mystery, right? Yeah. Sometimes you think you've got it all, right? Yeah. You think you've got it locked and even yeah. the polls. I mean, I don't want to talk about two, yeah. you know, 2016. I mean, just sometimes there's... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you never know. But h- how are you feeling about it? I feel overall good. I think we had a plan in place beforehand and
1: we're definitely executing on that plan. We sat down and did our uh, GOTV plan this past week and I think we have a solid strategy in place. Um, it's funny just because I felt like I was going to get crushed, like honestly, because this is my first actual campaign running I've volunteered on a bunch of campaigns. We have a strong campaign team, but I know that the way the politics works in Seattle is that you need a lot of institutional support. Mm -hmm. And as a candidate who's Mm -hmm. kind of anti-the establishment, I knew that I wasn't going to get that. Yet, the things that we've been able to accomplish, like getting the 34th District Democrats endorsement, like getting the King County Democrats, like getting the Young Democrats, like getting the Progressive Alliance of Vashon, things like that, I was like, Oh, wow. Like, we can do this. We can do this. And people actually care about our message.
0: Yeah. So let me ask you something. You, you said uh, you thought you were going to get crushed, right? How yeah. Do, how does that engender? I mean, how do you go back out? Like And, then, and knowing that? How, I mean, because now it sounds like maybe the tides have turned, right? But there yeah. must have been a period yeah. where they hadn't turned yet. And yeah. you're just going to... What keeps you going? I mean, are you just going to like be a gadfly or are you are you actually think trying to change the tides like how does it feel to win. No, up we're every we're
1: planning on winning. So I just felt like we're always gonna be behind. So for instance, when I say that, I thought that we're gonna get crushed on fundraising because we don't mm. take corporate PAC money. Mm-hmm. We don't take special interest money. It's all individual donors in the community, family and friends. What's funny is that I just got two emails whenever a donation comes in, no clue who they are. Yeah. Right? So like yeah. I I just thought that like, you know, there's another person in the race who has a history of being part of uh, the organizations that are at play. And they were just going to absolutely demolish us. Like, outrageous 10 to 1. And the fact that we have more donors than anybody else blows my mind. Yeah. And it's all, you know, local support, family and friends, people we've called on, people I don't even know.
0: Yeah, well, that's how you win, right?
1: That's how you win, yeah. right? So at the end of the day, it's like, you know, does your message translate to votes? And that's kind of what our key is. Where would you grow up? Here. So in the district where I'm running right now is actually where I was born and raised. So my parents are refugees from Vietnam, and we were allowed to come here because... At that time, leaders knew that immigrants were what made America great. And we grew up in White Center, which we came there because we had access to public housing. So we grew up in what was
0: called Park Lake Homes. Just to, for listeners, like that's a kind of a big development, right? Yeah, yeah. Kind of cookie cutter. Very cookie, like military bearics? That's Yeah, yeah. exactly.
1: It's, so it doesn't exist anymore. They demolished everything and now it's mixed income housing called Ciola Gardens. And then a few years later, we moved to Berrien which is like three blocks away. And we grew up in Berrien So born in white center raised in Burien, and then live now in west seattle with my family uh two little kids my beautiful wife and it's funny because i've joked about this the past couple of days but basically once i moved to bash for like a year i've lived in every single part of the 34th so born and raised in the 34th district and the reason why we're running and the reason why i care so much is because like let's be honest i mean when you're an immigrant kid my father was in a car accident when i was young so my mom was basically a single mom because my father ended up passing away because of it, and she had to raise four kids. So if you look at that background, um, we're not really supposed to be here. I'm not really supposed to be a senior manager at Microsoft. I was never supposed to actually succeed. So the fact that we we're here is because the community gave us a chance. Uh, the fact that we we're here is because the community really shaped my values and my. Well, um, so
0: what does that mean, though? Right. So you're you're a little kid. You're running around. Do whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like you're you're. So now you're in Burien, right? You're just yeah. like. I mean, your mom's working all the time. What do you do all day? Is it like a, as a,
1: you know, what's funny. Uh, I actually knocked on the door of a friend of mine. It was her parents. And it was, we joked because we were the only two kids that didn't have cable TV growing up. <laughs> uh, but what's funny is that I
0: can relate to that. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. But, but now I realize that they're actually really rich, and they just chose not to have cable TV versus we couldn't afford cable TV. <laughs> right, right. But, um, so we actually just read a lot of books. So I read a lot of books growing up, including the Encyclopedia. We scrapped enough money together to get a saxophone. So I played jazz growing up, mm-hmm. and then kind of just running around. So we ended up all having to get jobs fairly early. So I was a janitor at my high school to help pay for tuition. During high school? During high school, at my high school to pay for tuition to go to school. How'd
0: that go socially? It sucked really bad,
1: <laughs> Yeah. right? You know, yeah. and it, it's funny because I actually met with a, a high school friend whose dad was the wrestling coach. And I, I wrestled and- Me I, too. Did you really? Yeah, 106. Yeah, I was 130, 129. Yeah, yeah you were,
0: that's super. That's I was super a little cool. guy. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm still a little guy, but yeah. I, I have a little bit, weight crazy. on me. 106 crazy. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I was 129. I think it was weight class at that point. But um, I remembered I got yelled at one time because I missed practice. And I missed practice because at that time, my dad was was so alive and he was quadriplegic. So sometimes my mom would call and she'd say, hey, I need to change. Like, we literally need to change your dad's diaper because he's getting bed sores. So I'd rush home to help her change my dad's diapers because he's quadriplegic. And obviously, I'd miss wrestling practice. But I didn't tell anybody because I'm embarrassed as, as hell, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Like, first off, I'm a janitor at my own high school. And then you have to run home to help your mom change your dad's diaper. Right,
0: right. Right? So... Did you, I mean, was he, was he all there? No. Was his mind no, all there? No no, 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 no.
1: So he was uh, 100% brain damaged, and okay. he was also fully quadriplegic.
0: When did that happen?
1: When I was seven years old. So I was actually the person that found my dad. So we were coming home. It was first grade. And I, I obviously remember very vividly. I walked past. He was a mechanic. So he actually fought in the Vietnam War. So he came to the United States before my mom did, uh, simply because he backed out with the U.S. Navy. So I came home. He in car. South Vietnam. South feet north. Feet Yeah. Got so he,
0: he, he evac Came evac Got yeah. it.
1: Wow. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, what's crazy is that my parents, my mom didn't actually come over until three years later. And that story by itself is crazy. But long story short. So I'm walking home. I see him working on this van. And, you know, I go inside. My mom is extremely religious to this day. She goes to church twice a day.
0: Wow. I, I don't. Twice a day. Like insane.
1: So she's like, hey, go get your dad. It was like a random weekday. It was some holiday day of obligation. I can't remember what it was. And I go out and I actually find them. And this is Catholic. Yeah.
0: This Catholic. Yeah. Catholicism. Yep.
1: yeah. Gotcha. So, Me too. I grew
0: up Catholic. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Latinos. You know, my mom's Irish. My dad's Latino. That's like a recipe for super Catholic. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. And
1: it's funny because I find some things problematic, but at the same time, it helps shape. It's, some your, of your, it's your background. Yeah. yeah it's exactly, your background. Yeah. Exactly. Um, that's you know one of the reasons why I went to high school where I did. One of the reasons why I went to college at San University because of that Jesuit background. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, left of the establishment Catholics. So. Yeah. So, so yeah, sorry,
0: I interrupt. Oh, no, you're yeah. fine. So
1: I find my dad. Um, I run inside. I have no freaking clue what's going on. Uh, you know, we ended up having a neighbor help us um, move the truck. So he was working on the on the, on the the van. They were using this van to transport uh, the elderly people of the community to and from church events. I see. And wow. he was just taking a look at the brakes real quick. So he wasn't, like, meant to work on anything. And just at that time, it gave out, and it crushed his spine. So I weren't sure how long he was there. So, you know we were in and out of the hospital for years and we were already poor, right? Like refugee family, yeah. we just came here a few yeah. years ago. Um, and because of that, like just our finances were decimated, yeah. right? So imagine being already poor and then having to deal with uh, surgeries and checkups and medication and all that stuff.
0: So what that was your, really uh, really tough. Yeah. What was your relationship like with him? Like at the, prior to oh, that? Oh, not,
1: I mean, I was so young, I don't even remember, yeah. right? So it was almost non-existent. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because... I learned more about my dad at his funeral than I did my entire life because uh, that happened when I was uh, seven years old. He passed away uh, like a a dozen years, 12 or 15 years later. Mm -hmm. So for most of the time that I knew him, he was quadriplegic and then brain dead. So there's nonverbal, there's no way of communicating. The only time that you could communicate with him was his eyes. Mm -hmm. So like he had no short-term memory. So you can tell he didn't know who I was. After a few years, he didn't know who I was. But then, like, somebody will come, and he'll recognize them, and his eyes will light up. But there was no communication. He couldn't control any of his motor skills. So, so your mom, right? Your
0: mom. Yeah. He, he had kept her in, in mind. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But um, but imagine, like, a mom can barely speak English. She basically was a seamstress in a sweatshop in Soto, raising four kids. So we were all kind of running around doing odd jobs for most of our lives. I scooped popcorn at the IMAX theater for a long time. Uh-huh. My brother worked at the grocery store. My sister
0: was doing her thing. Yeah, living the... You just stereotype, hustle. right? Yeah. I mean, just
1: get it done, get the money. Just yeah. get it done. Get the get it done. Yeah. Um, and then that really informs a lot of why we want to run for office and why we're doing this now is because we need leaders who are from the community who have the same lived experiences. So one of my personal beliefs is the only reason why progressive tax reform or health care for all or affordable housing, the only reason why those things are controversial, to me isn't because they're actually controversial issues. It's because the people who are in charge are so disconnected from those lived experiences that doesn't show up on their radar.
0: So, so, the suggestion being that maybe they're really, their lived experience is a little bit has, I hate Sometimes I hate this word, right? But, yeah. that, but the privilege piece. No, it really they is. They just have. The, yeah. And privilege, by the way, like yeah. one of the things that I, I I recently read is we shouldn't be dismantling privilege. No, I think privilege. We should is be a good democratizing. Thing. Yes. It so exactly. that everybody has the ability oh, to get man. health care yeah. And a lenient yeah, yeah. justice system. Like yeah. When you hear about the the white kid that like gets leniency in the justice system, like I want oh, that for everybody. Well, maybe everybody should get leniency in yeah. the justice system, right? Exactly. Like, yeah. So so I see your point, which is this idea that if it's been a little rougher, maybe like. Getting that leg up is something that you're aware of that everybody else needs. And needs. if you're not in that background, yeah. you just may not experience that. And you're, it may be much more about a, a supply and demand curve, right? Yeah, or, or you do something.
1: Um, the analogy that I use is like like for lunch. Actually, today is not a good example for lunch because I actually did eat a salad for lunch. But like, I know that the healthiest option for me for lunch is like a salad with no dressing. But most days I get like a burger and fries mm-hmm. because I want a burger and fries, right? Mm-hmm. So like too often we're very prescriptive in terms of how we handle our policy where we're like, hey, this is what you need and you force feed it to everybody else mm-hmm. when really they want, you know, something else. So there's that balance that we need to have where it's like, yeah, I get that's the best option in terms of policy, but it's going to piss a lot of people off. So how do you find that balance? I think we saw that with the Seattle City Council.
0: I think we see that a lot with the state level as well. Well, yeah, Seattle City Council, maybe not in my... best regards right now. I mean, just the head tax, the way they handled it, but that's a whole other... I mean, whatever you think about the tax, right? I mean, just the the kind of secretive nature of the overturn, really. I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. I know you've got to kind of be careful about it. No,
1: it's fine. Honestly, so, you know, what's interesting is I talk to so many people now, so we've knocked on thousands of doors and I'd go to endorse meetings all the time. And at this point, I'm just like, you know, what I say to the chamber is the same as what I say to any other organization or the stranger. Well, the stranger, you might swear more because they encourage it. But beyond that, it's, it's all the same, right? So it's like, look, the Seattle City Council did what they did because they had no other option. Nobody wants a head tax just to have a head tax. You do it because you have to do it because people are literally dying. People the are dying. Swearing. People are dying. Yeah. And nobody's doing anything about it. Yeah. Right. So like one table has been in existence for what, two or three years at this point, they've done nothing. And the state ledge actually put the city council in a pretty bad spot. So, the property tax swap that we saw on the state level mm-hmm. that raised property taxes in King County made a situation where like how else are you going to raise revenue in Washington state? We have one of the most regressive tax structures
0: yeah. in, in the we, united states we have the, the you know i I try to emphasize this in interviews once we get into kind of the politics of everything, yeah. organized yeah the Dillon state concept, which is yeah. um you know if, if we, effectively no 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 municipality in this, in the state of Washington can tax itself mm-hmm. without state approval. Yeah, the exact same. And, well. and, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and, and, yeah. and, it's, and it's, um, it's super frustrating and nobody gets it. And it's funny because, you know, a lot of folks don't know this. The origins are very populist. The yeah. origins came when, when what the more progressive state legislature did not want company towns yeah. in the rural parts of Washington to effectively create uh, mandatory taxes, taxes on, on like l- livable goods, right? Like yeah. certain types of food. They didn't want to jack it up just so that the company could take the money back, right? So they created this Dillon, what they call the Dillon Laws.
1: Yeah, oh, that's interesting. And
0: But now what you see is that it's really flipped, right? Yeah. And yeah. much more moneyed interests in... It, it, I won't just say the eastern part of the state because it's all over, yeah. but they prevent the more progressive uh, voices in Seattle and whatever. Yeah. We, we can't create a capital gains tax. We no, can't create an income tax. Et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine to say it. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine to say it. I think
1: it's okay. What's funny, so that's actually what, probably one of the more shocking things on our door knock is people understand that we are at a crisis. And we only have really two and a half options for raising revenue property taxes, sales taxes and, BNO kind of right. And like there's a smattering of other things as well. Course, so yeah. Yeah. when you see a state ledge that obviously was controlled by the Republicans um, that raises property taxes right. in county by that much. And then also concurrently, you see the car tabs going up by that much. There's no appetite for really anything else. So you right. see this whole backlash towards something that has been done before in Seattle, which is the head tax in order to literally just help people that are dying on the streets. Yeah. Um, so I don't fault the city council for proposing that. I actually applaud them for the heroic nature in which they try to get that forward. The tough part is, again, the salad versus the burger option, right? So how do you, how do you let people know that, hey, our blood pressure is really high. We should really get that under control. Here's a part of the fix. Yeah. yeah. So And that's kind of the, the tough part. I talked to some of the, the folks who kind of helped craft that legislation and there's nobody else that is more upset than folks in the city council
0: that that did not get handled the way that it got handled. But it kind of... Um... Well, you get into this... It, I, actually, I'm curious. You're running for a state office, right? Yeah. And I have yeah. a lot of city folks here. Yeah. Um, I, I'm really curious what you think about this. I, I've started to develop some fairly... Um, you, you might almost call it conservative. I don't know the right word. But, yeah, yeah. Um, The longer <laughs> I live in this... So I've lived here years now. Yeah. New Yorker, born and raised, but I've lived here a long time now. Yeah. The longer I live here, the more I distrust referenda. Because yeah. they can... Unlike the the legislative process yeah <clears throat> where a single person who is an elected official is accountable for their own vote yeah these referendum uh they're, they're used as like threats by yeah. Yeah. by corporate interest by yeah. you know tim iman yes and uh you know so it's almost like the, it, that seems like that's what happened where the council passed this this tax and, and then people's opinions of it right, right. Yeah. They, they passed this tax and then <laughs> the referendum was used as a as a leverage to overturn it, kind of. You well, know? and
1: the BS part was that the folks who sponsored that referendum shook hands with the city council for the compromise. Yeah, That's yeah. the part that's super frustrating, because right. it's like, and then the city council gets vilified, when it's like, well, if you sat down with business, and you actually made a compromise, right. but then now... That's good
0: governance. That's what you're supposed yeah, to do. Yeah, that's what you're supposed get to get do. Get the activists and business together, and actually yeah. propose a solution. Yeah, and then so that's why, why it's backbone. so
1: frustrating, because yeah. it just, it was like... They have a hard job. Like, people are dying on the streets right now. Nobody's doing anything about it. Uh, oh, yeah. And, and the hardest
0: job in the cities. those. those oh, nine. for sure. Yeah.
1: Well, and it's li- it was a little bit frustrating, too. The timing was kind of off. But um, at the same time, King County Council, or I'm sorry, King County, uh, were like, hey, we have $180 million extra from the hotel tax, or whatever that is. And the first inclination that they had was, let's upgrade Safeco Field. Right. right? So like... <laughs> yeah, right.
0: And I know the county, there, there's been some members that have been very opposed to that. Oh, but...
1: yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so it's like come on like we right. need a regional approach and i get i get why they were doing that but at the same time it was just very very tone deaf at the same time so
0: yeah.
1: so then you 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 vilify the Seattle city council you don't help them out uh, at the same time and now it's like a political pariah for anybody to talk about it and people at the same time are still dying on the streets mm-hmm. nobody's doing anything about it mm-hmm. and everybody's and about still complaining. you
0: know, it's you know we don't think about it now because we're in the heat of summer but yeah Another winter's coming right along and it's going to be more sick people and more more than ever maybe.
1: Yeah, so the interesting thing, so I'm actually on the associate board of an organization called Wellspring Family Services. Mm -hmm. And we work specifically with family homelessness. Uh, And that includes everything from housing instability to domestic violence, which is actually the leading cause of uh, family homelessness. So women and children. And then also early learning. So we passed legislation this past year to help children who are experiencing what's called adverse childhood experiences or ACEs. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, we know that your brain develops a certain way if you experience trauma. So our goal was to have Washington State acknowledge that as a, an issue and we need to have processes in place to fix that. So we passed out this last year. And kind of as I, as I work with, with these families and kind of see uh, kind of how the hobby uh, community is approaching it, it's a little bit frustrating because oftentimes, and I, I could be wrong, but it, it feels like we're treating homelessness as a monolith. Like homelessness go when family homelessness is very different than addiction, which is very different than mental health
0: crisis. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, one of the things that I, I take no credit for this is a close friend of mine who's actually been on the on the show, and yeah. she works with youth care. Yeah. Uh, you know, she originally from Eastern Washington, where yeah. it's easier to get three kinds of heroin than yeah. a, than a ripe avocado. Yeah. And so drug use is a problem. Yeah. Yeah. They all have a home. Yeah right it's not this idea it's sort of a myth that like well these guys are addicted to heroin and so yeah. that's why they're homeless like it's not no, right really no, it, it's not yeah
1: yeah well it's frustrating because that uh we had a candidates forum and uh the question was like something about homelessness and everybody kept saying like well they're all drug addicts that have mental health issues and i was like whoa 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 whoa. yeah <laughs> in fact most of them are not actually and most of them uh literally just experienced some kind of either healthcare crisis or uh, lost their jobs or missed a paycheck or, or something came up. Right. Um, and it was funny because I actually got feedback afterwards that I was like, why would you Why would you bring that up? Like, you didn't answer the question. I was like, I don't care about answering the question. People are stating things that are wrong. Right.
0: You have to address that if to. the pre- premise is wrong.
1: Yeah, the premise is just wrong. So it's, it's really frustrating to see. So, for instance, um, working with an organization that provides housing uh, for families, I know that it's three times cheaper to keep people housed than it is to then get them out of homelessness. Yet, when we look at the state, legislator, uh, state legislator, uh, legislature, when we had that recession, the first things that were cut were social services, like health and human services and TANF, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, the very things that would mm-hmm. keep people housed were getting cut. Yet, and then we see this rise in homelessness. when it's Which like, drives the costs up. Which drives, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, it's like, are we not am I crazy? Like, right. I, I literally saw when we cut services and then the rise of issues that we're seeing now, and then compound that with a, a very heated economy where, you know, we're very lucky to have one of the fastest and growing, uh, fastest growing economies in the United States, which by virtue is the world, yet our income inequality is getting worse. Well, right. Right. So it's like all these folks that are like, well, you know, we need to make sure that we protect all these businesses all these jobs so that we, we can still have everything that we have. I'm like, We've been doing that for a very long time. That's not
0: the problem. That doesn't seem to be the problem.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's always kind of funny where people are like, oh, Seattle is so anti-business. Washington is so anti-business. And I was like, really?
0: Yeah.
1: Like Amazon seems to be doing fantastic Yeah, no corporate tax or no corporate tax. Yeah. Yeah, right? So it's like there has to be a balance where it's not necessarily just black and white. So... The one part that I do had an issue with with the head tax was the fact that the low gross margin um, businesses your, were your grocery stores and whatnot. Yeah, grocery yeah. stores. Like, honestly, Wajamaya I love, Lump Seafood I love, and I don't want them to be impacted. But I don't know. That well, then how do, do that?
0: how do you do that? How do you do that carve out then?
1: I know it's super tough because uh, you either raise the threshold. I don't think they're able to do it on gross margin for, was it constitutional reasons?
0: Well, my understanding, um, and I'm, I'm a. An, you know, not an expert on tax policy either, but my yeah. understanding was that actually the problem is that companies like Amazon don't make gross margin.
1: Yeah. Quote unquote,
0: right. Quote unquote, yeah. it's a, they, they do what's called plowback, right? So the yeah. shareholders see value in the, yeah. in the nominal value of their shares, but they yeah. don't actually give a dividend every year. Yeah. So if you did it on gross margin, then nobody they, would, then pay. nobody would, then only the small businesses would pay it. Right. Yeah. So that's wrong too. Yeah. But, but uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah. No.
1: Yeah, no, that's fascinating. That would be part of the legislation that I would have like wanted to specifically address. Uh, what's interesting is that this isn't the first time the issue came up. I think if you look at the Seattle City Budget, like a few years ago, they actually had a head tax proposal for like the amount of six million just to explore how it would how it would work out. Mm-hmm. And there was actually. Businesses at the table talking about that stuff. This isn't the first time that this conversation has been had. It's just the first time that it's blown yeah. up and everybody's talking about yeah, it. Yeah, for
0: whatever reason, it got real virulent, real fast. Yeah. yeah. Very, very fast. And again,
1: yeah. I think a lot of it boils down to an incredibly regressive tax structure in Washington state. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that drives a lot of the issues that we're seeing right now is because everybody has this idea that, you know, we just need to tighten up our belts. And it's like, well, between a regressive tax structure and then I, I'm sorry, getting kind of wonky, yeah. I 747. Uh, I-747 was an initiative about 10 years ago. It was a Tim Iman initiative that basically capped revenue growth for a municipality to 1%. So what happens is if you go into a recession,
0: you basically tighten things up. But if you get out of a recession... Yeah. Yeah. That's the old debate and switch. They do that in a lot of states now. Yeah. 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 They do that at the federal level too. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, that was the...
1: So it sounds fantastic, but imagine having a business where like, you're growing leaps and bounds, but you can't raise revenue right. to accommodate for that growth. And that's kind of what happened now. So then when you see this issue with the property tax swap where it puts an undue burden on King County and everywhere else, it's because now anytime you want to, you know, tax more than that one percent, you have to go to the ballot. And then so you have all this noise whenever you have a property tax increase. Right. And it's all
0: anybody hears about too. It's Is only the tax hears increase, off. right?
1: They never hear about it when it rolls off. Yeah. So if you look at the actual property tax rate over time, it actually decreased over the past fifteen years or so until S T three. So our property taxes had actually been going down until just recently.
0: Yeah. Uh, so That's it's kind very of funny. interesting. We'll try to get some
1: <laughs> yeah. data, maybe slap it up on the on, yeah. the,
0: on the website. That yeah, be I'll great. try to
1: figure it out because I actually did that analysis a little while ago just because I was like, this doesn't feel right to mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of funny where you have this public perception that we're always getting taxed, always getting taxed, yet nobody talks about when, the, when the, the property levies and stuff rolls off the books. Right. What's interesting, though, is that there's about 684 or something like that tax exemptions on the books that don't ever get reviewed. So most of the tax exemptions in Washington State, which uh, if you add up the value of these tax exemptions, are more than the budget itself, which is problematic. Uh, and I'm not against them. I'm just saying, like, why is it that... like There's, in- no, there's
0: no examination, right? The process yeah. is always skewed toward yeah. this, like, prove, prove the burden of uh, any new uh, revenue at all, yeah but you never have to go back and sort of validate yeah. the, the value of... Yeah, these exemptions, right? Yeah, yeah that's a, that's a great yeah. point. That's like conservative politics at its finest, though, right? I mean, that's, Oh, it's that's the it's evil genius. It's the Cato Institute or whatever. Yeah. yeah, I
1: mean, like I'm, I'm incredibly fascinated by it because it is so effective. It's mm-hmm. so so effective. Even the idea of a state legislator not making any money, right? So a state senator, I think their average salary or the average sal- their salary is about forty seven thousand dollars per year, mm-hmm. right? And I get that it's part time, but really. It's like saying a teacher only works during school hours. That's not actually true. Right. So if you had a person making $47,000 a year living in Seattle, first off, that'd be very tough. Yeah. And second, campaigns cost minimum one hundred and fifty k. Yeah. Right? So what happens? Qualified people can't run because they can't afford it. So then you have older wealthier and yeah. generally wider people generally wider, generally uh, running for office certain
0: educational class which is by the way yeah education is good yeah but yeah. means you get zero you know z- very little working-class presence and you representation. get very
1: little representation from people that are actually from the community who have the same lived experiences right. so when a bill comes up and says I'm gonna raise property taxes for homeowners in King County by a thousand dollars and right. they're like oh yeah that sounds fine and it goes you're
0: right. like no no no, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah that has actually same with sales people. tax same thing with sales right. tax but then you talk about income tax and they go, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Have... Yeah. <laughs> I don't have that right. Yeah. Exactly. You know, interesting a little trivia fact. The French Revolution. Yeah. Came in waves, right? It wasn't yeah. just one kind of yeah. one fight and it was over. And one of the fights this is where the term of left versus right comes in. I don't know if you knew this, no. but uh, the 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 um the, the French legislature in the time of the, the, the Napoleonic Wars, right? Was you were seated by tenure. Yeah, And the further, the longer you'd been in the House of Commons or Lords, you were on the seated to the right. Oh, like
1: literally seated literally to the right. Literally seated yeah. on the right. And
0: then the left, uh, as as the, you know, speaker, uh, if, I forget the word, but yeah. would face, right? The left were the newbies, right? Yeah. And they tended in that time to be moving in waves further and further to what we would call the political left. Yeah. So the actual seating Was would literally right. be right to left, like... Right were more conservative, pro monarchy, yeah, you know, and then left were more. Now back then capitalism was left. Yeah. Because it was anti monarchist, right? Yeah. So all the capitalists were on the left and you monarchist. know, and so yeah. And so that's where right left comes from. Yeah. And the folks on the left, one of their big fights was paying themselves. Yeah. And they faced a lot of accusations of, you know, venality yeah. and grist from the right. But yeah. the argument was if you don't pay your legislators. Only rich people can Only rich people can be legislators, right? And And that's
1: problematic. Oh, yeah. And it's very obvious that it's
0: problematic right now. It's a problem as old as the French Revolution. Yeah. Oh, that's
1: so funny. Yeah. Like, I'll be the first to tell you, there are tons of people that I've met along Mm -hmm. this process and just being from here that I believe would be fantastic legislators. Mm -hmm. You Mm -hmm. know what's crazy? So, the district that I'm running in the 34th, so West Seattle, White Center, Burien, Vashon, Maury Island, White Center and Burien, two of the most diverse cities in, in Washington State. Oh, yeah. Like... There has never been a person of color ever to represent the 34th, ever, right? So when you look at that and you see the significant population is actually from very diverse communities, you wonder why that happens. It's this. First off, they can't afford to do it. And second, they don't have the opportunity and access. Right. And then you wonder why, you know, certain communities get skipped over when it comes to funding for things. So every single, and this most budgets, but every single line item in the Washington State budget has a champion behind it. Like, literally, there's a representative who says, it's I want It's a sponsor, this. Yeah, yeah, and right?
0: someone who will go to bat for it.
1: Yeah, so if you don't have a representative who is from your community, has the same lived experiences, has the same shared values, uh, it kind of gets just glossed over. Yeah. So it's not that they don't care about you. They literally just don't know. Right. So And that's one of the main reasons why we want to run is because you know, politicians and politics should be for the people. And not just for
0: whatever interests that they are. Sort of, right? Should so, go without saying. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, hey, your mom, is she still yeah, uh, yeah. with you guys? Or? Yeah. 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 So she actually lives in West Seattle, kind of a few blocks down the road. Oh, nice. That's yeah. awesome, man. She's still going to church twice a day? Oh, my goodness. Yes.
1: Which is, uh, so the Vietnamese community is still very strong in our area. And she's never been politically engaged before. But she's been like door knocking. She's been <laughs> yeah, like well, She's proud of her kid, man. You know, if not for her, man, like we would not have anything. So yeah. it's really crazy to see like that love. In that care kind of manifests itself now when mm-hmm. you know i saw it when we were growing up and seeing it now it's just it's very humbling uh she went and spent a whole day like so we have a list of basically emmy voter with the vietnamese name in and, and the 34th there's mm-hmm. about 25 or 1800 or so like around 2000 and a lot of them she knows so she's kind of like phone <laughs> <kidding>. yeah so <laughs> like in a race so if you think about the math like in a race where there's really 11 people running where we expect about 25 to 30,000 voters in the primaries mm-hmm. split all those ways. You can feasibly squeak by with like 4,000 votes. We, we're aiming for 89,000 to like win the primary. But like 2,000 Vietnamese people, even if you get a fraction of them to come out to vote, mm-hmm. that's going to be huge for us. Yeah. So her running around
0: has been absolutely amazing. Man, yeah. Free labor. Oh, yeah. She's used to hustling. <laughs> yeah, so. right. She's just hustling for her kid now. That's awesome. Yeah, no, no, it's great. So we like to end every show with a segment we call If You Care About, yeah. You Should. Yeah. Fill in the blanks. Oh, interesting. Well, the
1: easy part right now is because the voting is coming up. But if you care about the community, you need to vote. And And, and the sad part is it's sad when we look at politics and we just accept that young people don't vote. And communities of color don't vote and to me it's not because they're disengaged or they don't care but the process doesn't actually reach out to them so i believe one of our strength is being able to reach demographics that have not been reached out before like i said before there's never been a person of color from the 34th in the 130 year history of washington state there's never been a vietnamese person ever in a state level office before ever and we've been here for I don't know, almost a generation hundred and fifty years or so. almost
0: two almost two generations yeah. right
1: so If we want change in our communities, you know, we acknowledge that the process right now isn't working. The status quo is not working for everybody. And in order to fix that, you have to run candidates and and fight for candidates who are actually going to fight for you as Mm -hmm. well. So getting out to vote, obviously very important, but also making sure that you're out uh, volunteering and doorbelling and knocking. And I'll be honest with you, one of the more fascinating things, so I'm actually recording myself like five minutes a day of just observations of things that I see and feel. Oh,
0: that's kind of cool. Yeah, and I'm going to
1: release it, I think, hopefully as a podcast as well. Just so, like, one of my biggest things is I don't actually want to be a career politician, but I want to enable a path for other people to succeed as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And that includes, like, everything from as mundane as how do you pick a campaign consultant to these are the highs and lows you're going to feel in a campaign. Like, you can come from an uh, an event where, you know, six people come out and they're all supporting you and feel like you're the loneliest person in the world when you get home. Of course, yeah.
0: Um come I came I mean I've never run and I never will, but I yeah. I come out of politics too, man. That's yeah. You can be in a huge rally and, and two hours later just, just be all be like, alone and it's yeah. A, yeah. It's the weirdest feeling. It's it's and it's rough too. It's you gotta super tough. Strap back on and go back out the yeah. next day and do it again. And yeah. you
1: were saying earlier, like, well, how do you keep going even though you know that you're behind? And I'm like, Well, people are literally dying in the streets and yeah. I don't seem to see anybody doing anything about it. Yeah. So you have to be kind of the advocate for people. Amen. Um And so far, so good. Knock on wood, we're uh, we're doing well in terms of fundraising, which is especially cool because we don't do corporate PAC money. Uh, We have the most amount of donors out of anybody else. And, you know, I have five or six folks door knocking with me basically every single day. Mm -hmm. And the process, yes, I believe is broken, but it's not as hard as you think to fix it. So I actually had two field organizers. I took them off the doors for one day to go to a endorsement meeting Mm -hmm. just because I was like, look. I want you to see firsthand how this stuff works mm-hmm. and it's um, very fascinating because then you can then piece together like okay this is how the process works and this is how we think we can make it be better uh, man because I wanted to have them have that firsthand experience but uh, y- your voice does matter your support goes a tremendous amount of ways especially for somebody
0: who is running for office people can just go down to a campaign office I think a lot of people don't realize that yeah even if you're not <clears throat> Even if you're not that talented politically in terms of wow. training or, or skills, you can still go down and be helpful. Super helpful. Um, money helps, right? But, yeah. Uh, but uh, time helps just as much. And yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of... I, man, I would love to impress that on people. And, and uh, yes, like you say, the system is broken, but it's fixable.
1: It's fixable. And honestly, until we actually start stepping up and doing it, uh, you know, like... If you see something broken, you got to fix it, yeah. especially when it's broken for a long time and nobody's yeah. been fixing it. Yeah. So it's been fascinating uh, going through this whole process. Very excited about the opportunity. And I'm just so fortunate to have a great team of people kind of supporting us and kind of pushing us forward as well.
0: Joe, thanks for being on the show. Yeah. Thank you so Wynn. much. Yeah, appreciate right. it. Take care. Cool, thank you. That was Joan Nguyen. Progressive Democrat running in the Washington State 34th Legislative District. Check him out at meetjoanwen.com. He's a uh, Vietnamese-American fella. Make sure you spell his last name correctly, M-G-U-Y-E-N, meetjoanwen.com. Thanks to Anthony McPherson for the dope poetry sample. All music by the Subcons. Thanks to Naboo for sound mixing and editing. This has been a Cascadia Underground as it always is, I am your host, Ian Martinez. My favorite. Have a great week.